Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST site, mine website, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website, at www.businessacumen.biz or at Banking Day. This week's Talking Business is brought to you by multi-award winning law firm McDonald Legal, experts in the areas of dispute resolution and commercial and property law. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business from our website, leongetler.com. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review a month of the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number six in our series for 2023, and today's date is Friday, March the 10th. First, I'll be talking to Andy Squires, the CEO of Securely, the app that provides tradies and subcontractors with a payment platform. And I'll be talking to economist Nicholas Green about how the RBA can control inflation without rate rises. But now, let's talk to Andy Squires. Andy, tell us about this Securely app that you built for tradies. So, yeah, so Securely app, so we... we realise there's a massive problem in Australia for tradies that aren't getting paid. Um, we see it all the time. We hear about it on media and uh, social networks everywhere where tradies have either been ripped off or, or vice versa, that customers are, are not getting work done for for what they're expecting from tradies. So we uh, developed an app that can uh, solve this problem. So how does it work? So it works quite simply. So we, we tried to simplified as best we can so it's quite easy for all parties to use so if a tradie comes to a, a client and it gets offered to do a job um, for that client they work together to agree on their price the quote or whatever that job is once they agree on that the tradie then just uploads a copy of his uh, a photo or word description of the quote into the app that and also his client uh, who he's doing the work for so that then gets a message directly through to to the client via email to say that you had a job being proposed from your tradie, do you accept this job to be done? And once the client accepts the job, they, uh, they, they hit that button in their email through the app, deposit the funds for the job into the app. The um, tradie then gets notification that his job has been accepted and he can move forward to complete that work. Uh, once the work's completed, um, he just puts notification back into the app that the job's been completed back to the customer. Uh, once the customer sees that and they're happy with the job, then they release the funds directly to the tradie. So it's a pretty straightforward process. I'd imagine the app would be of interest not only to tradies, but also to other service providers like landscapers, interior designers and cleaners. 
Yeah, very much so. We've had a few other business uh, areas that have contacted us and been in touch and said, can we use it for our business? Because we're finding we had even an interior design company, they do a lot of quotes and everything, which costs them money. And and they're finding that uh, once they've done the job, there's a bit of apprehension for one way or another or and and vice versa. So they thought that a a nice platform that they can use where the funds are safe and available once the job's been completed, that they can use that for that and also for car sales. Have there been issues? because of COVID? Well, as far as the work for tradies goes, I think it's increasing more than anything. Everybody's spending a lot more time at home. Uh, so there's a lot of DIY stuff going on. Um, and we're hearing a lot more where there's been some situations where customers haven't been, have been getting ripped off by people that are posing as tradies or something like that. I mean, coming around, having a little bit of job, getting paid deposits and then vanishing. So I think potentially COVID's it's building that awareness for people that are at home a lot more, that are wanting to improve their properties and everything, that they need to do it on a safe platform. Have you noticed more disputes are on the rise? Um, I think, yes, we've seen, because we get flagged with quite a lot of them now, even with all over Australia. So as much as we're, they're, they're right on our radar at the moment, but yeah, they seem to be coming through quite thick and fast at the moment. So it's an opportune time now, I think, for this app to be used and be available to support both the tradies and their customers and give them a safe platform. There, I mean, there seems to be a shortage of tradies around, doesn't there? I think there has been for a number of years and now that they're now they're very busy as we all know um, so I think that also the number of tradies that are coming out of the trade schools and everything along those lines need that little bit of help and support to get their business up and running and not not fall into the risk of, of losing money or not being paid and so forth so there's uh, there's opportunities there for all the tradies just to make sure that when they do work and that they are doing work that they're uh, they're, they're supported and they're comfortable and also for their families now, in view of that, I mean, uh, we, where, where is the app actually operating? I mean, is it operating all over Australia? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's, up, it's operating um, all over Australia. We're, we're, we're Queensland-based in Noosa, is where we, we base from. Um, so we're, we're doing a pretty solid launch through Queensland, South East Queensland at the moment, and then we'll roll it out through the rest of Australia. Uh, but we've got inquiry from Western Australia as well now, and uh, people are starting to see it on the, on our on social media and so forth. And now that we're having our, uh, our PR launch at the moment, it, it's starting to create attention so I think it'll uh, move quite quickly throughout Australia. Obviously there's an issue for tradies at the moment about getting payments. Yeah very much well we, we see it all the time where and, and stories that we get back from a lot of tradies that we that we talk to all of the time they'll do a job and then all of a sudden the, the client may come in and say well maybe we can negotiate now after the job's done or I haven't got the money now or can I pay it off in a little bit here and a little bit there or in a variety of different reasons, which ultimately just puts the tradies' financial um, financial um, security at risk because they're expecting to get paid for the job and then all of a sudden they're finding that they're not going to get paid or for one reason or another or the client wants to renegotiate. So this way the funds are all there that the tradie knows. The funds are sitting there available for him. As soon as the job's done, he can get paid. Oh, but obviously with the COVID environment, finances are very insecure, not only on behalf of the trading but also on behalf of the clients i mean they'd be looking to save money too very much so yeah without a doubt and also just to make sure that they are they if they employ someone to do some work that they know that they don't have to pay any money until the work's done but in knowing the fact that the money is there and available to the tradie so it's a win-win for both parties so that the tradie knows that the money's there and available once 
he's completed the job or she's completed the job and the customer knows that they don't have to release the funds until the work's been completed. So tell us about how, how you developed the app. Um, well, it was, uh, it's been going for a couple of years now. We've, we've just seen so many times and seen in the media and everything, many, many situations of exactly what we've just been talking about, about tradies not, not being paid and also customers uh, not getting service that they, they have paid for. Um, so um, we saw a gap in the market and the service industry there that hasn't really been done to an extent that we've built this app on now um, and we've just been developing it over the last couple of years there's a lot of back-end work because there's any if there's any dispute resolutions that need to be managed and there's also the of the two parties one being the customer and also being the tradie so it has to be separated in both those areas because you can go in as a tradie and use the service or you can go in as a customer and use it as well so it's uh, quite complex in the background um, to, to actually get it operating but we've with our team, we've managed to get it operating and working, and it's uh, it's proving successful. So, how many how many in the team that developed the uh, app? So we've got uh, what have we got? Five of us on the board. Uh, we've got um, an app developer, an international app developer, that's been working with us to develop the app at the moment. Um, we've got uh, a gentleman who's ex IBM project management who's been supporting us and working with us on the way through. So he's done a lot of work in this area. We've got a financial banker who's been helping us with the financial backside of it as well. Um, myself as CEO and um, and our founder as well and uh, admin staff in the background that are uh, working. In, in in the resource and administration area so that when people come through for any queries or questions or anything like that, we've got a, a phone number that people can ring and speak to someone if they've got any queries or questions or any issues that they need to resolve. There's, and there's no issue with uh, getting trust? It's being a new product, that's always going to be um, something that we, we continue to work on and that will, that will uh, as time goes on, people will see the value of that. Uh, but yes, the, the trust seems to be there at the moment. We don't have an come across any issues or problems with that to date and um, and I think really the more people that use it and see the value of it and get some value out of it then it'll just uh, continue to grow from there so I think word of mouth is going to be very important for this product and also um, we, we speak to a lot of other organisations and associations that are very interested to see how it goes forward and also looking at it supporting moving forward as well. Which organisations are you talking to? Um, so at the moment we've started talking to Mitre 10 that are interested we're speaking to QVCC that, have, uh, that are very interested in the product as well car sales as well we've been talking to um so there's a and and a lot of trade organizations as well have colleges uh, for, for young people coming through um we'd like to expand out into um the all the other areas of business as well so there's a lot of a lot of different trade plumbers electricians etc landscapers and so forth that have all got their own network of groups and everything so we uh, we'd like to push into those market areas as well well that that'd be quite that'd be quite extensive now uh, you're, you're looking at expanding in Australia, but I mean, there's potential for you to move into places like New Zealand as well, isn't there? Very much so, yeah, very much so. And um, and we've even had inquiry from Singapore as well of uh, someone over there who's seen it and is very interested because they see it's a massive problem internationally as well. There's a lot more work, I think, involved with the, um, uh, the, the standards and what needs to be done as far as the legalities going internationally. Um, but yes, it's certainly on the cards without a doubt. What we'd like to do is get it up and running beautifully in Australia and then um, expand out from there for sure. So uh, when do you when do you see uh, you'll be in a position to start expanding overseas? 
Um, well, I'm hoping within 12 months we can have uh, have a substantial substantial base and a lot of data and history on the on the app of how it's been operating, any little uh, um, issues we need to resolve and evolve over the next 12 months, and then I think we can start pushing that. Um, but that that's our plan. Earlier the better, I think, and, and, and it's such a service that's so viable and usable for everybody that if it grows a lot quicker and we are set up and able to do it earlier, then we certainly will. Well, Andy, it's been terrific talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much, Leon. Great chatting with you. Now let's talk to economist Nicholas Green. Okay, Nicholas, there was some discussion last week about using forced savings to help uh, fight inflation. Apparently the idea goes back a long way. Tell us what the idea is. Uh, so in 1940, I think it was, uh, Maynard Keynes, the the uh, famous economist who wrote the general theory and basically invented macroeconomics, had published his, his book, The General Theory, in 1936, and was, and that was, of course, a book about how to get out of the slump, how to get out of the Great Depression. And now he had a completely different challenge which was how to fund World War II. There was no depression. The well, uh, Britain was producing everything it possibly could for the war effort. So the problem was then something quite different. The problem was this prospect of inflation. And so what Keynes suggested was that rather than tax people or put interest rates up, that their wages be uh, that we we confiscate part of their wages but we tell them that we're putting those wages that we're using those wages to buy war bonds effectively and that they'd get that money back uh, when it was possible for them to spend without fostering inflation so that was that was how Keynes was using his new ideas and showing that they were relevant not just in getting out of a slump but in moderating a boom. Well, you proposed this idea in the late 90s. Take us through the logic of it. So I was, I was, I had just arrived at the Business Council uh, in 1997 and the Business Council was saying, we want new ideas. And I said, well, we have a superannuation system. We have compulsory saving and we should use that system to moderate the economic cycle. So if we are uh, trying to, uh, if we're trying to stimulate spending, we might ask people to contribute slightly less. And if we are wanting to restrain the economy, we might say, well, now is a good time to make people contribute a little bit more. And this, uh, and so that, uh, and, and so this is, something which Gareth Hutchins from the ABC rang me about a couple of weeks ago and said, what do you think of, of this idea? And I said, well, I, I argued it 20 years ago. And in fact, the Business Council argued it in, in a paper that I developed for it. So, uh, so it's basically creating a system of savings. Uh, well, we have the system of savings. It is noticing the fact that we have compulsory savings and then saying, well, that's a bit like interest rates. It's about a bit like taxing and spending, and it's something which affects the macro economy. So we should use it uh, not just to get people to save for their retirement, but there will be times when it's particularly good for them to do a little more saving for their retirement and other times when it's harmful to do that much saving for their retirement because we need to get the economy going. So we need to consider that 
in, in running this system of compulsory savings, we should consider that through the cycle. Uh, what's the mechanics of it? How, what's the mechanics of it? How you, how, you, how you do this with fiscal policy, for example? So, well, well so, so what I was proposing was that we broaden the base of macroeconomic policy. Now, we mainly use interest rates. And the reason we use interest rates is because it's easiest to use interest rates. As Philip Lowe said recently, interest rates are a blunt instrument, but they're nimble, which sounds like a very strange thing to say. But what he meant was that the rate of interest, uh, the overnight cash rate can be changed literally overnight. Whereas if you want to change spending and taxing, you have to take that through the parliament and might take you months. You mightn't get what you want, but you can be pretty sure that you'll get it at the wrong time uh, because it might be six months before before you take a measure and then it will be the wrong measure. So what I suggested was that in addition to fiscal policy, we have something you can, the Medicare levy is a good example. You can have, you could give the, the Reserve Bank some ability to manipulate the Medicare levy up and down so that it can calibrate fiscal policy to the cycle. In other words, so it isn't just in using interest rates. So it isn't ju- just interest rates that it uses to moderate the cycle. It is also, um, it, it also has that option. And then the other one is super. Now with super, we have employers paying super. So I suggested that to the extent that you want to vary this in the short term, that amount should be paid directly by employees so that we take the money, so that they see the money coming out of their pocket or going into their pocket in the short term. So those are the mechanics of it. But some people actually want their parliaments to ratify taxing and spending decisions, don't they? Uh, Well, they do, and that's why parliament would need to set this up. So so it's, you know, it, it happens that parliament delegates decisions on the overnight cash rate to the Reserve Bank. And what I'm suggesting is that Parliament delegate the ability to slightly vary tax through the cycle to a body like the Reserve Bank or indeed to the Reserve Bank. So Parliament's in charge. Parliament's doing it on behalf of the people. Uh, If the people really want something as inefficient as the Parliament getting in the way of of, of using fiscal policy to help manage the cycle, then you will uh that then you will obviously then you can't use it uh so we'll get worse outcomes and i don't think uh, the australian people want that well how would this address inflation more effectively than raising interest rates uh well what we've got at the moment is we've got a central bank raising rates it doesn't know whether it's right ra- it, whether it's increased them enough it might have increased them too much because Monetary policy has famously long and variable lags. Monetary policy works through a a, a substantial channel is expectations and investment, and we don't know what the recent recent rate rises will do to those things in six months and nine months' time. We do know what happens when we tax people or we pay them money on a one-off basis. So 
it's much more effective and it's also just this uh, you, you know your listeners will be familiar with this idea that if you broaden the base you lower the rate in other words uh, that's in tax policy the more people you tax the less you have to tax them it's the same here in that we have three potential instruments. If we only use one, then we have to use it more. We have to have higher interest rates. And that's a problem, not just because it's inefficient and it's unfair, but it's also much chancier than these other instruments where we know what we... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I've got a much better idea of what we're doing and the effects of what we're doing than we do with monetary policy. Now, I mean, why have we? I mean, this this goes back to the time of John Maynard Keynes. Yeah. So that's I mean, right. why why have we done so little with these ideas? Well, uh, that is an interesting question, Leon, and it is the bane of my life because I come up with ideas from time to time. I think I wasn't aware when I was producing this these ideas in the nineties that uh, Keynes had produced something very similar in How to Pay for the War in 1940. So, uh, but, but I guess, I guess there, is a, uh, there is a tremendous lack of confidence in our public life where, well, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've been asked, well, is there anywhere else where they've done this? Now, it's a perfectly good question, but if you tell people, well, there aren't that many other places, there's one. I mean, Singapore does what I'm talking about as far as with savings policy from time to time. But we we talk about ideas as if they're part of the entertainment. We don't take them very seriously. And the one time we did, which was in the sort of first eight or nine years of the Hawke-Keating government, we had fantastic policy. Uh, so... That's what we have to do, but it's uh, we, we somehow slip out of doing it. Uh, and if we can't notice and experiment with new ideas, we'll keep we'll keep going with the old ones, which is precisely what we're doing at the moment. Well, Nicholas, thank you very much for your insights, and uh, looking forward to our next chat. Thanks, Leon. Need legal information or legal advice? Today's podcast is brought to you by multi-award-winning law firm McDonald Legal experts in the areas of dispute resolution and commercial and property law. For a free consultation on your legal matter, McDonald Legal can be reached on 03 9070 1107 or by visiting the website www.mcdonaldlegal.com.au. So what's happening in the news? Well, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell 
opened the door to a larger half-point interest rate increase this month and said officials are likely to lift rates higher than they previously expected to fight inflation in a stronger economy. Mr Powell's comments during the first of two days of Capitol Hill hearings offered his first public acknowledgement that data showing hotter inflation and hiring could lead Fed officials to alter their recent strategy of raising rates in similar quarter-point increments. The latest economic data have come in stronger than expected, which suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be higher than previously anticipated, Mr Powell told the Senate Banking Committee. If the totality of the data were to indicate that faster tightening is warranted, we would be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. An Australian tech giant at Lussingham has laid off 500 workers, about 5% of its workforce, with a deepening tech wreck hitting the software company led by billionaire co-founders Mike Cannonbrooks and Scott Farquhar. The Sydney-based Atlassian, which builds team collaboration software, have managed to stave off the cuts impacting the likes of Google, Amazon, Netflix and Facebook parent company Meta, but on Tuesday announced a difficult decision to shed 5% of its workforce. Affected employees will receive 15 weeks of severance pay and can keep their laptops. Their company, which has yet to turn a profit, said in a corporate filing that the layoffs would incur a charge of between US $70 million and US $75 million. Between them, the world's largest tech companies, including Australian tech startups, have laid off hundreds of thousands of workers in recent months amid an economic slowdown. Many tech companies say now they hired too quickly during the pandemic, and other factors, including rising interest rates and the ongoing war in Ukraine, have forced the tech industry to cut costs. And at its 10th consecutive meeting, the RBA hike rates by 25 basis points, increasing the cash rate by 3.6%. It returns the cash rate to its highest level since May 2012. The RBA said further tightening of monetary policy will be needed to ensure that inflation returns to target and that this period of high inflation is only temporary. And the impact of rising interest rates and the slowdown are having an emotional impact on Australians, according to Commonwealth Bank Australia Research. More than half the bank's retail customers describe themselves as being extremely concerned about the rising cost of living, with a third claiming rising expenses have already had a significant impact on their lifestyle and spending behaviour. Renters are feeling the pinch slightly more than owner-occupiers, but both cohorts say grocery bills and utilities are their biggest worry. Just over half of retail customers are spending less on socialising, eating out or entertainment, while 49% have started buying cheaper grocery items. SME owners are adjusting their personal spending, cutting non-essential business expenses and raising prices to weather the storm. And industry and retail super funds recorded negative annual returns of minus 5.5% in 2022 compared to 12.9% the year before, as they felt the bite of the broader economic downturn. This slowed the $3.4 trillion superannuation system's overall growth, data from the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority revealed, and its asset pool value grew just 2.5% over the year, despite contributions jumping 11.1% in the same period. But superannuation investment experts expect funds to rally quickly, noting that the sector rarely records two poor years in a row. And Rio Tinto will pay a $15 million civil penalty to settle an investigation by the US Securities and Exchange Commission related to an alleged bribery scheme involving a consultant in Guinea. The company, one of the world's top iron ore producers, has been fined for violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act by the US SEC. Rio Tinto said it would pay the charges without admitting to or denying the SEC's funding that it violated books and records. And one in three Australians have started a small business or side hustle since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, or plan to start one in the next 12 months, according to a new research study just released by the Commonwealth Bank. The research reveals that of those surveyed, 9% of these entrepreneurs started a business between March 2020 and January 
2022, while almost twice as many, 16%, have started trading in the past 12 months, highlighting what the bank called sustained entrepreneurial activity among Australians since the COVID pandemic. The bank points to Australian Bureau of Statistics data, which also shows new business entries increased 19.7% in the 2022 financial year, significantly higher than average, reflecting workplace changes during COVID and hobbies morphing into side hustles, as well as opportunities in sectors struggling with labour shortages. And a slowing Australian economy has stalled women's financial progress for the first time in a decade, as higher interest rates weighed on female employment. The Financy Women's Index, which measures the economic progress of women and the time it will take to reach gender equality in Australia, slipped 0.1 points to 7 out of 100 in the final quarter of 2022. While the decline is marginal, even the smallest backward step on this journey is a large policy failure, independent economist Nikki Huntley said in the report released on Monday. The fact that women didn't benefit as much as men during 2022 from the economic stimulus from COVID is an indictment of those specific policies, as well as broader policies aimed at gender equality. Weakness in the jobs market amid higher interest rates appeared to have weighed on the index and set back progress in closing gender gaps in employment and underemployment, said Financy, which provides software aimed at helping organisations improve performance on diversity, equity and inclusion. The employment sub-index fell to 71.5 points from 71.9 points. And the makers of Australia's first locally designed and built hydrogen-powered truck said will be towing cars and potentially collecting garbage this year in a rollout they believe could spur a shift away from the highly polluting diesel vehicles. Hyzon Motors says the 27-tonne truck it will unveil its headquarters in Noble Park in Melbourne southeast on Monday is an Australian first and shows the trucking industry can go green. Electric models made up 10% of new car sales globally last year but heavy vehicles have been harder to turn green. The US headquarters of Hyzon is one of several startups betting that hydrogen fuel cells are a more viable option than rechargeable batteries, which are large and heavy, and need downtime for recharging. Hyzon established an Australian outpost in 2020 to capitalise on the wealth of industry talent left behind when Holden, Ford and Toyota shut down their local operations and has grown to a team of just over 50 engineers, fabricators, welders and designers. The truck will go into commercial trials this year with three on order from from the RACV-owned towing company Nationwide Group and discussions are underway with waste management groups and other potential operators. Trucks produce about 4% of Australia's carbon emissions and there's growing concern about the impact on public health of the country's relatively old and dirty truck fleet. Diesel fumes are now recognised as a carcinogen with fine particulate matter and nitrogen dioxide also causing heart disease, stroke, diabetes and childhood asthma. And with the federal government set to unveil its national EV strategy within weeks, data from the Australian Automobile Association reveals affluent motorists from the inner suburbs have embraced the move away from internal combustion engines. But with the price of EVs in Australia mostly over $50,000, with 10 models available for more than $100,000, they've also become a status symbol for wealthy inner city residents who want to show they care about the planet, at the same driving what is essentially a luxury car. Data compiled by the AAA's Electric Vehicle Index, which went live on Sunday, revealed the Victorian postcode 3170 Mulgrave and Waverley Gardens has the highest number of registered EVs with 281. This was followed by the postcode 2000 Sydney CBD, Barangaroo and Dawes Point with 241 registered. Then the Queensland postcode 4217 which includes the wealthy Gold Coast suburbs of Chevron Island and Isle of Capri with 184. The Victorian regional town of East Sale near Lake Wellington had the highest penetration of EVs at 4%. 
Up to the end of January last year, there were 34,536 registered EVs in Australia, comprising 10,542 in New South Wales, 9,572 in Victoria, 7,350 in Queensland, 3,324 in Western Australia, 1,574 in South Australia, 1,377 in the ACT, 757 in Tasmania, and 78 in the Northern Territory. To the AAA's heat map, showed EV vehicles are never far from the centre of areas with large populations. And Teal Independents are preparing to push Labor for tougher action to end federal politics jobs for mates culture by creating a new commission for merit-based appointments and mandatory selection panels. Mokella MP Sophie Scamps will table a private member's bill on Monday designed to introduce safeguards to public appointments such as the new National Anti-Corruption Commission boss and future government boards and tribunal members. Designed in collaboration with the Centre for Public Integrity, the bill will be supported by Indi MP Helen Haynes and independents in the House and Senate. It would involve ministers being given a short list of at least three qualified candidates. They would be required to select from the list without adding possible political appointees as allowed under current rules. Even more stringent requirements would be added for roles considered to significant integrity appointments. For appointments to bodies such as the Australian Electoral Commission, Office of Public Prosecutions and the Australian National Audit Office, a former Supreme Court judge would be part of the selection panel. Diplomatic appointments would not be included in the plan. Labor has attacked the former Morrison government for politicising a slew of government appointments and a report by the think tank, the Grattan Institute, last year found political appointees occupied more than 20% of federal board positions. And the chief executive of Australia Post said the Postal Service is likely to develop a broader footprint over the next five years as the company considers new store-right formats beyond the traditional post office. With the federal government now reviewing Australia Post, with the review outlining a range of ideas from increasing stamp fees to reducing the frequency of letter deliveries to sustain Australia Post as snail mail declines, Chief Executive Paul Graham said he expected its physical presence to grow in coming years as Australia Post trialled new ways of sending and picking up mail. There is still a strong appetite for buying gift and birthday cards at a local post office, but the company is focused on working out the needs of different areas so it can better target services it provides, Graham said. Along with letter and parcel deliveries, Australia Post operates a vast network of more than 4,300 post offices across the country. These processes bill payments, sell gift cards, phones and general merchandise and accept passport applications. The group's 2,513 post offices in rural and regional areas have a heightened importance, providing services and goods where fewer other retail options are available. And Pacific National says it will step in for Scott's refrigerated logistics customers after the freight operator collapsed and its receivers said they were unable to guarantee deliveries to major supermarkets. Anchorage Capital Partners, which acquired Scott's in 2020, called in administrators last week before creditors appointed Quartermentha. Scott's was acquired by Anchorage from ASX-listed Eagles Automotive for $75 million and is contracted to deliver refrigerated goods for Coles, Woolworths, IGA and Aldi. It competed alongside Linfox, Lineage, Americold and Lindsay. Many of its customers are also small and medium-sized businesses, some based in Queensland's north. A last-minute sales process has failed, although some assets are expected to be sold later this week. With the loss of a major national refrigerated trucking player, Pacific National said on Monday that it would draw on the experience of dealing with COVID-19 supply chain chaos to manage the instability triggered by the collapse of Scots. Pacific National Chief Executive Paul Scurra said it was important to keep the refrigerated network intact, adding rail could pick up more coal containers known as reefers to protect the continuity of complex supply. 
And Coles has conceded to suppliers at a recent forum that its customers are feeling the pain of rising interest rates and cost of living expenses and are rushing to take advantage of sales and promotions to help stretch their household budgets further. At a forum held by the nation's second largest supermarket chain late last month, Coles executives revealed to its food and grocery supplier base the attraction of value offers with a sales promotion launched in January triggering a 22% spike in sales for those marked down groceries. The suppliers were told that the second iteration of Coles' dropped and locked campaign, which put more than 300 essential grocery items on discount, resulted in a 22% lift in a mix of sales and volumes for those baskets of sales goods. Coles' executives also said the impact of inflation was reflected in a shift by consumers to cheaper foods, such as trading down to cheaper cuts of meat or more affordable proteins, such as chicken. Coles told the suppliers that customer trust on the issue of value was becoming more crucial and involved keeping prices down and building customer trust via its dropped and locked campaign, while private label groceries also played a role. The reporting season shed a light on the growing fickleness of the consumer in the wake of nine months of interest rate rises, with expectation of further increases to follow and other cost of living pressures. And a new cyber criminal gang called Medusa is using a range of tactics, including pretending to be a cybersecurity professional, to grow its profile as it hacks into more businesses, including in Australia. BGH capital-backed cybersecurity firm CyberCX has found at least 20 victims of so-called double extortion operations carried out by Medusa since January the 11th, including in Australia and the Pacific. Double extortion is a common cybercriminal gang tactic, both encrypting and stealing data, so companies cannot access their files and face the threat of hackers releasing it publicly. It is used as leverage to force businesses to pay a ransom. It is unclear where Medusa is based, but most cybercriminal gangs are in Eastern Europe and Russia. Catherine Manstead, Director of Cyber Intelligence and Public Policy at CyberCX, said Medusa was not using a traditional hacker method of getting into company system via phishing, where links in emails open the doors for malicious software. Medusa is hitting a range of sectors across manufacturing, telecommunications, energy, hospitality and professional services. It posted about an Australian data breach on February the 2nd and has also attacked businesses in the United States, Indonesia, Singapore and Tonga. Miss Manstead, said there was enough difference between how Medusa and other cybercriminal groups operated to give CyberCX confidence it was a new group. Medusa was highly experienced and appeared to include hackers who had worked before in different criminal groups. CyberCX found several social media messaging accounts across Facebook and Telegram that it believes are operated by Medusa. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Dr Sanjay Warrior about the business of healthcare during the pandemic. And I'll be talking to EY economist Sherelle Murphy about Australia's GDP and Apple. This show was brought to you by multi-award winning law firm McDonald Legal, experts in the areas of dispute resolution and commercial and property law. For a free consultation on your legal matter, McDonald Legal can be reached on 03-9070-1107 or by visiting the website www.mcdonaldlegal.com.au. In the meantime, you can catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you want, leave a comment. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business on the Apple Podcast Store or on my website, leongetler.com. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing Talking Business next week. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.